Blog Talk Radio. We are the UR Tennis Network. Our mission is to be the voice of tennis. We enlist a team of passionate enthusiasts to promote our sport. We strive to bring interesting perspectives on the many spins of tennis. Our goal is to provide the learners of our sport with current news and information from many angles. We seek active participation from communities interested in tennis, but tennis is not interested in them. We are expanding our outreach. Tennis is a true lifetime sport that needs to be talked about, and the UR Tennis Network pledges to pursue this idea relentlessly. Good afternoon, tennis fans, especially you high school tennis fans. Welcome to the Yellow Ball UR Tennis Network, where you'll find all your tennis news. This is your host, Coach Denise, bringing you the FHS TCA perspective on high school tennis. We're kind of the new kids on the block. This is only two years doing this broadcast, and we'd like to thank our CEO, J.P. Weber, and his, his We Coach Tennis organization. Those of you that are not following him on uh, Facebook, really sure that he has quite a network of coaches involved. And most of you, I'm sure, have been listening to Lisa Stone and her Tuesday's parent and aces for the last uh, five years. And on Wednesday, of course, we have Coach Chuck Greasy and his American uh, tennis program. Wow, what a broadcast he had uh, yesterday. Uh, it was just uh, tremendous. Uh, and uh, those of you that didn't hear it, the one nice thing about the UR10 network is that you can listen to the shows whenever you want to. Uh, it's about 6 o'clock last night, I guess, that I listened to his show, and um, wow, that's all I could say. Uh, uh, so much information there. I think uh, you will enjoy it. But like I was saying, uh, our show's a little different. Each week you could be hearing from high school college or professional coaches, tennis pros, and our guests will also include educators, organization leaders from FACA, PTR, USPTA, USTA, and other uh, organizations, and also including our partners now and then. Our broadcast can't help but to occasionally overlap the other great tennis broadcasts since if high school tennis is an after-school sport and not an after-school activity, we should be building a bridge from recreational to competitive tennis, which could be the pathway to continual reward and lifetime experiences for all our students. We are blessed to have partners like Wilson Tennis, a leader for over 100 years. I must admit I miss I witnessed uh, over two-thirds of that there, and uh, I would uh, wish I could be around for the next hundred years. I'm sure they're going to have uh, even more exciting things happening. Of course, Team Connection Tennis, which is the FHSTCA clother, has been a big part of our organization, our annual all-star event. Uh, at the end of each uh, season where we try to have a fun, challenging event for our high school players before they go off to college are always looking good as well as the coaches because uh, they're all dressed by uh, tennis team, uh, or team connection tennis. Florida Tennis Magazine, uh, this has been... Uh, not only Florida tennis for the last 25 years, but it gives us the nation tennis. Excuse me, tennis, and it's uh, it's uh, well. Actually, next week you should have your issue of uh, Florida Tennis Magazine at your club. And if you don't find it there, you know you can always go on to www.fhstca. 
and you can uh, read our articles that are there on the network. Flagler Insurance and American Integrity, a big part of uh, our organization. They have been a uh, sponsor for a long time with us, and uh, they understand, like uh, the rest of uh, our members and our uh, sponsors, that they tomorrow's college tennis players, USTA league players, and volunteers, PTR and USPTA pros, as well as tomorrow's community and national leaders are all in high school now. Yes, they're all waiting for our guidance and to go on to college and take their part in life. And, of course, on January 5th, 6th, and 7th, um, the FACA will be conducting our uh, training for uh, the coaches of spring sports, and the FHSTCA will again be providing the tennis portion of that training. This will most likely will be my last year of uh, putting together the agenda for uh, the organization. I do say I've been blessed over the years to be able to have some of the finest speakers uh, available and I think this, well, I know that this year's uh, workshop will equal any of the past workshops we have. As a matter of fact, my own bias, I believe our workshop is equal to any that you find uh, in the nation. So we look forward to seeing you there. And, of course, our guest today, which I'll introduce after I give you the John Denise perspective, uh, will be providing a uh, hundred of his hardcover books to the first uh, hundred people that we uh, get at the workshop. So uh, I think we have an exciting uh, show for you today. I would like to uh, give credit to uh, Greg Swanson and uh, his War in Mind newsletter. Uh, he conducts the Mental Strength uh, Certified Coach uh, Program, uh, which I have uh, passed and which you all have the opportunity to once you've gone to the workshop and you take the uh, FHS TCA uh, Tennis Team Coaching Certification if you want to continue on to go through and become a senior or master um, you could go to the website and see how to do that. One of the courses where you can get rewards are is to go through the Mental Strength Certified uh, Coaching Program. Uh, his um, newsletter this week kind of talked what I've been talking about a little bit. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, often you have heard me say that competition is not a bad word. And those high school tennis players and other athletes who will be doing doing it for a long time after they graduate from high school and college. Well, besides the C word, uh, Greg talks about the D word. And, of course, the D word is discipline. Uh, it's another of my favorite subjects. And like it or not, like it or not, word doesn't change the nature law that discipline is required to develop true character and realize the success that we need in our life. I might say that too often discipline is associated with another D word, and that's disrespect. But in my opinion, nothing is further than the truth. Discipline and love go hand in hand, and those who are are determined by self-discipline when applied as a as a positive trait. I think achieve that level of success a little sooner. Self-discipline is actually the price of admission to play well and win, and for coaches to coach well. When we compromise this natural law, we pay dearly. If I heard Coach Greasy correct yesterday, uh, this is what he was referring to when he expressed his views on the problem of organizations uh, and their attempt 
to manage from top down rather than building from the bottom up. Uh, rather than viewing self-discipline as a burden, we should reframe the path that uh, freedom and achievement comes from. Organization members should be able to express their views, and if their organization is not willing to listen, then maybe it's time to move on and find another avenue to present your ideas. Excuse me, I had a little bit of a cough today. Some of the things that we try to teach uh, coaches, which we'll be sure we'll be talking about at the FACA uh, training in January, is the lessons that we go through, lessons we uh, players assume, uh, being on time, uh, expectations of them and their peers. These are not natural things. These are things that must be learned. I think as parents, for instance, they guide us along. And first, we probably do it. I know talking for myself, I did those things I was instructed to do uh, because I knew if I didn't do it, there would be consequences. Later on, I did it for love of my parents. And then still later, uh, I did it because I surely didn't want to respect them. Of course, if you're not a student of your profession, there will be little reason for you to stay disciplined. Being aware of the benefits of self-discipline will conform your commitment of being a disciplined person, which I believe is needed for success. I think your attendance at the January FACA workshop will allow you to meet many of those coaches who understand that discipline is not a bad word. Are you ready to live a full and meaningful life or to regret what you've done? I think those people that you meet in uh, Daytona this January will help you make those right decisions. Now to our guest, I see that he's uh, on the line. Let me make sure, and then I will give him a proper introduction. He's an old friend of mine. David, are you there? I'm sitting right here waiting on you. David Beckwith is uh, got an old friend of our family. Uh, we've known him for a long, long time, did you? I was going to say, more years either one of us won't admit. (laughs) (laughs) He's the author of the Will and Betsy uh, Black Adventure series. And, of course, David started his first book, which I think is an important uh, book, and uh, it was a recognized book. I think it was number two the year it came out. Uh, But uh, A New Day in the Delta uh, was a book book about his experience as a teacher in Mississippi, and really, I think you'd have to say, uh, helped in inventing school desegregation as it went along, and I think it's a book that I've shared with other uh, teachers, Uh, some uh, surprisingly, uh, I I must say, I remember... uh, one or two of the teachers, and I think of one woman in particular that she told me, um, and she works with special needs children, she said, John, the book is still relevant today. It's uh, a book that the teachers should be reading uh, because <clears throat> it, it describes much of what I'm going to. Well, uh I wish David wrote more books like that, and maybe he would, but he switched to mystery novels, and uh, The Hurricane Conspiracy, uh, his first book uh, at the mystery novels, was a book about, uh, well, read the book, but it, the book is in Vero Beach, and of course that's where I first met uh, David. Uh, my wife and I knew his, uh, him and his wife, and um much of the things that occur in the book are related to Vero. 
And then when he got into the Betsy and Black adventures, uh, he moved into a calculated conspiracy, uh, a narcotic conspiracy. And uh, his latest book, which was just released, is uh, A Cosmetic Conspiracy. And all of them now uh, we find uh, down in the Keys. And, of course, that's where David is now. David? Um, do we uh, have to uh, have you move to another part of the country to see uh, uh, a different uh, geography in your books? I don't think I'm going to ever run out of fodder down here for material. By the way, Merry Christmas, guys. Glad to be back with you. It's like I was talking to you just yesterday. Now, you know, John, you know, you're talking about switching from uh, nonfiction to fiction. You know, when you write, uh, they always tell a writer when he first getting started that, uh, you know, to, to write something you know about, write something you know about. Well, especially if you're writing, uh, uh, you know, something like nonfiction, well, you could know about it probably if you lived it. Well, that was a book I lived. Uh, and But since I'm just a plain old normal old person, uh, I didn't get that kind of have that many opportunities to have get involved in situations that were actually changing American history like that one did. The uh, Most of us, we just go through our, our lives. But uh, So I had to had to move over to fiction after that because uh, unless I was going to discover uh, you know, uh, <laughs> some more great things. By the way, the, that book was kind of a semi-memoir. Um, uh, but uh, and, and publishers hate memoirs. Oh, they they just despise them most of the time. Unless a memoir is about a, a celebrity or about a or something in history that is really outstanding, they can't give them away. I mean, there, there's no market out there for memoirs about plain old real people. And so, fortunately, I was able to get into a situation that was making American history. The I don't know what the demographics are of your listening audience, John, but I suspect uh, that uh, they're they're younger than we are. I mean, John and I are probably the only ones here when Moses read the tablets. But the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but back in and John, John knows what I'm talking about here. Back in the in shall we say the good old days, or or just call them the old days, the society as we knew it then is what we call a separate but equal society. Everything was separate but equal. I mean, you had separate but equal water fountains. You went to the doctor's office. You had separate but equal waiting rooms. You had separate but equal movie theaters. You know, buses, transportation, uh, you know, ballparks, uh, trade organizations. I mean, even debutante societies and all were, were separate but equal. And that's the way we that we thought the world was supposed to be. Well, and I'm going to give you a little history lesson here uh, for those of you that are that are younger than John and I are. Uh, started changing in 1954. Uh, it, was a, it was a lawsuit that got all the Supreme Court called Brown versus Board of Education, uh, and it was against the Board of Education in Topeka, Kansas. And what the Supreme Court decided in that particular case was that separate but equal was unconstitutional. And that they decided that what we were going to have to do is we would have to dismantle separate but equal facilities of all kinds with all deliberate speed. I want you to listen to that phrase again, all deliberate speed. Okay, which means there was no deadline. Just you know, just get it done. <clears throat> well, what happened was is when you give don't give someone a deadline, what do they do? They find creative ways not to do what you want them to do. So to begin with, the school systems decided that they were going to have individual school assignments for children. Well, these individual school assignments were based on very vague criteria on a student-by-student basis of who was going to attend what school. And they had this committee making all these decisions. Well, guess what? The truth of the matter was the only thing that mattered to that committee was race. So, But they got away with that for several years. Well, when that quit working, the Supreme Court came back and said, uh-uh-uh, this ain't all deliberate speed. Then all of a sudden they switched uh, tactics. They decided we were going to have sovereignty commissions. Well, a sovereignty commission was basically a loyalty commission, and the people who appeared before the sovereignty commissions were mostly black. 
And what they would do is they would decide, the Sovereignty Commission would decide whether you are a loyal supporter of the status quo or if you were not. Well, if you were not a member of the status quo, guess what? The committee could all of a sudden decide to arbitrarily fire you, giving you no other reason, and they did. Well, this this went on for a while. Then then we had parental petitions started, because what happened was is after all this failed, the uh, the the schools they weren't they weren't pushing for this thing. Uh, so if anybody's going to push for it, it's going to be the parents, the black parents. Well, the black parents started putting in petitions to get in their their kids in the school they wanted them to get in, but there was only one problem. Every time they signed a, a, a petition, there'd be retribution. And what would happen is, first thing would usually happen is they would take the people that signed a petition, and they publish them all their names in the newspaper. Once they published the names in the newspaper, all of a sudden people in the community would look, and then you would have things happen like, well, the president of the bank would call you at home and say. Oh, I just don't think you're, I, I want you to come down here and take all your money out of my bank. I don't think you're the kind of person we want to deal with. You know, stuff like that. Or they would or they would find an excuse to fire the people from their jobs. Or they would, they would like, they, I remember there was one case that came, uh, it was a plumber, and uh, the, the white community boycotted him, and then the, the, uh, the wholesale house decided that they weren't going to sell him plumbing materials. And then all of a sudden he went to his, his, his gro- neighborhood grocery store. Instead of charging him 25 cents for a loaf of bread, his price was a dollar. It didn't take him long to get the message uh, that uh, he wasn't wanted in town. But that's the kind of thing that would happen. So we drifted along with that kind of thing for several years. And then that, got us, that, that, that bought time from 1954 to the, to the early 1960s. Well, all of a sudden in the 1960s, things started changing a little bit. The wall started cracking. You had things happen like James Meredith got, got uh, pushed into Ole Miss. It took the National Guard. It took riots. It took some dead people. But, you know, they got him in school. Uh, that that took them, they, they fought that for uh, two, three years like that. Then uh, we had a biggie that happened, the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Civil Rights Act of 1964 had two provisions in it that changed the game. You had one called Title IV, which allowed the federal government to sue school districts who were not in compliance. And the other one was called Title VI, which allowed them to cut off their money. So now all of a sudden, you know, everybody's sitting back saying, okay, what, what are we going to do now? We've got to change it to find a new tactic. So what they did is they came up with another idea. They said, we're going to have freedom of choice. You're free to go into whatever school you want to go into. It just so happens that, uh, you know, very few people would apply to go to the school they wanted to go into because things would happen, like vigilantes would ride by their house or their uh, their, their business would mysteriously catch on fire. Or all of a sudden uh, they would find out that they weren't welcome at the grocery store. So this rocked along until the, the 68 election. Well, the South pinned its hope and on, the, on the 68 election on, on Richard Nixon. Uh, they said Nixon was trying to get the South away because, you know, the South had been Democrat for years and years and years. So he was trying to get the, the South to join the Republican Party. So he had a Southern strategy. And so he kind of, he didn't promise people, but he kind of hinted around that maybe if you vote for 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 Nixon, uh, that maybe I'll I'll find some way to to get around all this Supreme Court nonsense. Well, Nixon got in, and guess what? He promptly forgot about all his promises to do that, and the clock kept rolling. So then, in '69, this is where I got into the picture. We had a lawsuit that came called Alexander versus Holmes. Alexander versus Holmes went in, and they said, okay. You said with all deliberate speed in 1954, it's now 1969. Isn't 15 years enough to be all deliberate speed? And the Supreme Court says, by golly, you're right. And they said, we want it done now. And so they set a deadline of February 1st, 1970 to to have all, all the schools desegregated. Well, just so happens it was September of 1969 is when I was hired to teach and, and where my book starts. So for those of you, uh, you know, 
the world as you know it today is not the world that John and I grew up in. I'm telling you right now. You agree, John? I agree. I agree. And that's a very good history lesson. Uh, of course, uh, did you teach history or English in uh, high school there, Dad, <laughs> one year before you got into the finance yeah. business? No, they had me teaching history. Actually, they hired me to teach English. And then, uh, and because the guy, when, when I went for my interview, he didn't care what I could teach. He see, all he wanted was he, he just wanted a white face in the black school because he figured, well, maybe we can buy some more time if we, if we send somebody over there. So he said, well, how would you like to teach English? And I said, okay, fine, I, mean, I, I guess. I was looking for a job. So about two weeks later, he calls me on the phone, and he says, uh, I made to hire a real English teacher. He said, how would you like to teach history? I said, well, uh, I had three hours of, of Western Civ as a freshman, and uh, I made halfway decent grade. He says, good, you're a history teacher. <laughs> so I became a seventh-grade history teacher. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I always thought that's but anyway, but no, but but let's, but let's, as I as I said when I when I was starting this that little diatribe, uh, is that unless you're involved in something exciting like that, most of the publishing houses they they don't want to publish nonfiction about about regular people. I mean, I mean they can, the, the the books just don't sell. So since that was my one and only time that I got to get in, in you might say, on the ground zero, uh, yeah, that was my one and only book in that field. And so Nancy and I, have, since we both had business backgrounds, because, uh, I mean, we, we were both uh, in, in, you know, in financial services for, you know, cumulative probably over 80 years, that we decided that we were going to set up a, some mystery books and teach people about the different kinds of scams that can happen uh, from the business world. And we started out, you know, with things. Uh, the first book was about, uh, you know, scams on limited partnerships. Uh, then we had a book about about uh, scams on real estate. Uh, we went into a little bit about Ponzi schemes. Uh, the latest one, which is a cosmetic conspiracy, I'm talking about pyramid schemes now. For those of you who, pyramid scheme is a first cousin to a Ponzi scheme. You know, if you want, if you want to take all Ponzi scheme is, is you rob Peter to pay Paul. I mean, you're taking money out of your left pocket and putting it in your right pocket, and, and giving some out to the investors and keeping a good hunk for yourself. Well, pyramid schemes are different. Pyramid scheme is a business model that recruits members not to sell products. But they recruit members with the idea that they're going to recruit other members. Now that may sound familiar to you, but uh, some people, it, what, uh, the first cousin to a pyramid scheme, is what they call a multi-level marketing plan. Now uh, we both know multi-level marketing plans uh, like Amway, uh, Mary Kay, uh, oh, well, some of the other ones, John. I'm trying to think, but. Uh, there's yeah, but they're actually selling a product, but they're still their thrust is recruiting people to sell the product as much, if not more so, than selling the product itself. In the case of a pyramid scheme, a pure deal old pyramid scheme, you don't even worry about product. What you'll do is you'll go in and you'll you'll say you'll pay like five thousand dollars to get into the bottom level of the pyramid scheme. And then they will set goals for you. If you if you recruit uh, two more people or four more people or something like that, then we'll move you up to the next level. Uh, and then if and then if you recruit so many, and if the people you recruit so many, we'll move you up to the next level. And then finally, uh, we'll move you on up to the top level. And at the top level, that's where we're going to pay you some money. So what will happen is is that you pay five grand. And one of them they call the airplane game, which is kind of cute. Uh, airplane game, you, you pay somebody five grand, you become an airline passenger. Well, uh, after you sell, you recruit so many other people, then you become part of the crew. Then after you recruit some more other people, you become a co-pilot. And finally, uh, after you recruit some more, you become a captain. Well, every time the money comes in, from a from a passenger, it goes to the captain. 
No one in between gets anything. It goes, it goes, but the organizer of the thing can suck off some money along the way, or he could be he could be a captain himself. And of course, many times what he'll do on these things is that the uh, say the, the co-pilot and the crew uh, they're fictitious people, uh, and and so he's all he fills all three positions. And so what happens? What happens is after the captain gets his payout, which probably by this, let's say if, if there's eight people involved, by the time he, you go from passenger to, to captain, uh, your five thousand dollars turns into forty thousand dollars because you get the five thousand on, on incoming passengers. Then you exit the crew. But if you fill the, the slots with yourself in the middle with you know fictitious names. Well, guess what? How many times you get to forty thousand? Several times. And another, there's another one they do. They call it original dinner party, which I thought was kind of cute. You go in uh, as an appetizer, then you become a side salad, uh, then you become the main course, and then you get then you become the dessert. Well, every time the the guy that comes in uh, as as a appetizer pays his money, it goes to the guy who's who's at the dessert table. So <laughs> it's some kind of fun ways to to um, to 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 actually mess over the public. And by the and time how much you get money paid, are we talking about when you get to? I mean, uh, say you get to the tenth or fifteenth or twentieth level. Uh, we're talking about major major dollars, right? Coming coming in there. Oh yeah. Uh, well, what's see you what you got to do to keep this thing going. Is that you got to have you you got to you got to have new passengers coming in or new appetizers coming in. The moment you quit, new blood comes in. The thing collapses on itself. But by the time if you get one of these things to run, let's say ten rungs up, you know how many people it takes to get it to the eleventh rung? Ten no, billion. <laughs> you say ten billion? Now, tell me that's possible. <laughs> Wow, wow! <laughs> so anyway, so that particular book is exploring pyramid schemes, which I thought was kind of a fun, a fun topic to explore. Just like the narcotic conspiracy uh, was exploring Ponzi schemes, which is purely, you know, uh, you know, pay Peter, uh, uh, take money out of Paul's pocket and give it to Peter. Because what you do on a Ponzi scheme is the you promise somebody I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a 15 20 percent return on your money, uh, and every time some money comes in, you suck off 15 20 percent. You give it to this guy like you promised, but he's not earning that that return. All he's doing is taking the money away from the guy that just put his money in, and the organizer is keeping the rest of it in his pocket. Right. So you know, now there is a you know I'm, I'm telling you, any time that uh, that somebody comes to you and, uh, and and offers you a free lunch, there is no such thing. <laughs> nope. <laughs> no, there isn't, in politics or in life, right? In the cosmetic conspiracy, mm-hmm. I uh, detect some console humor there, too, right? What, the, uh, the, your title character, how did you come about that name? Oh, this, this is, you know, once again... Uh, most of you guys aren't old enough. Well, I, one of the things that I've, I've always had fun doing is drawing novels from real life. I think every one of my novels is, is based on a real person or a real situation. And, of course, we, we fictionalize it and go on down the road. Well, in this particular book, what it is based on and, and where the, this is where the the gonzo humor starts coming in. There used to be a guy back in the 1960s by the name of Glenn W. Turner, and uh, most of you probably don't remember old Glenn. Uh, uh, I do. Uh, Glenn ran a he ran a, a pyramid scheme called Dare to Be Great, and what he was doing is he was selling uh, cosmetics that supposedly had mink oil in them. And he would go to these big seminars around and give them around the country, and you would, uh, and they, I mean, you have like fifty thousand people in the in the in, a, in the audience in a coliseum somewhere, and he would give them the pitch on how and, and oh, and you have to you had to remember Glenn was priceless, he was he was the 
eighth uh, he was a sharecropper son from South Carolina who's got a hair lip and uh, got an eighth grade education and if if somebody's got everything going against him that I do can can make us make all this money just think what you can do because you're normal because I took three thousand dollars and made three hundred billion dollars out of it and then so the uh but and people uh, and so people would pay five thousand dollars to join Glenn's pyramid scheme, uh, and he didn't really care if they were selling mink oil cosmetics or not. In fact, I'm not even sure how much they ever manufactured on the on the thing. But you know, the point is, is that uh, he, you know, he was. Unless you were at the top of the pyramid and Glenn was at the top of the pyramid, your your three thousand was not going to become three hundred million like his did. I might add, he ended up going to federal pen, sentenced him to seven years. Uh, in fact, he had a class action lawsuit against him, and in, in, uh, in Arizona, and he ended up serving five of the seven years. The uh, and he was building a big old thing in, in Orlando they called Turner Castle. It was on 79 acres of property up there. I, most of you probably, and John knows who I'm talking about here, John and Greg Rice. That, that name probably doesn't mean anything to most of you. you remember the old Hewlett uh, Pest Control commercials a couple of years ago with the midgets? Yep. You remember them, yep. John. They're still on TV. One of, the two, one of them died, the other one's still alive, and... Down here in South Florida, you still see him on TV. Absolutely. Guess where they got their start? They got their start working for Glenn Turner. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, but no, but Gonzo humor is a Gonzo journalism started. Uh, they attribute it starting in 1970, and there's a guy by the name of Hunter S. Thompson that is supposedly the granddaddy of. of Gonzo journalism, and uh, Gonzo journalism is a style of journalism that is written without any pretense of objectivity, and it often includes the reporter as part of the story, and it often is told in the in in the first person. Well, Hunter Thompson's uh, the the granddaddy of all Gonzo pieces was a piece that Hunter Thompson wrote in 1970 called "The Kentucky Derby is Decadent and Depraved." Now you can tell that is uh, there is no objectivity in that piece. <clears throat> well, what had what ended up happening is that it spawned a type of humor they called Gonzo humor, and Gonzo humor is over the top humor. It's just there's no pretense that this could really happen. I mean, we're just going for the belly laugh, and and my favorite Gonzo character or author of all times is Dave Barry out of Miami, and you know the guy works for the Miami Herald. Read yep. some of Dave Barry's stuff sometime. I mean, it is totally over the top. Uh, you know, he, he exaggerates everything. He, he you know, it's, uh, you know, in fact, one of his, what, uh, uh, one of his books, uh, uh, Risky Business, I think, was made into a movie. Uh, which is just a absolutely hysterical movie if you ever read it or oh, see it. Uh, another one that, that is good at, at, at Gonzo humor uh, is Carl Hyacin, who lives in Vero Beach. Uh, he's got a character in his book named Skank. Skank used to be the governor of Florida, except uh, he all of a sudden he bailed and he decided to live like a hermit in the Everglades, and he has he only has one eye. And he comes out of the Everglades and attacks people he thinks that are, are not friendly to the environment. Um, another one that, that goes in that kinds of uh, is, is Tim Dorsey out of Tampa. Tim Dorsey has got a, a character called Serge Storms, and Serge Storms, his protagonist, is a total psychopath. Uh, and what he does, and he and his buddy Coleman, who is always on drugs, go around killing people who they think uh, are not pure. And, I mean, I mean, he is about as much of an anti-hero as anything you'll ever ever see. So, yeah, it, it's, it's over-the-top type humor. Well, I tried to do that a little bit in the in cosmetic conspiracy. 
because uh, you know it's, it's Will and Betsy Black. But the uh, well, I, the I think you, you did good there, uh, and I, it's uh, amazing, really. Your uh, I, I often think of the phrase, "Nobody ever got into trouble." listening and uh, it looks like you know Madeline uh, never read the rest of the James O'Toole's phrase which was uh, that about the safest thing no one can do in life if you listen to people and you pay attention to them you then you're bound to learn uh, Madeline yep. uh, didn't and uh, I'm fascinated by uh, the title's uh, name uh, you'd like to talk about that yeah, Madeline, uh, the the character, the protagonist in this book that John's talking about, is named Madeline Corey O'Dare. Now, if that name sounds vaguely familiar to you, uh, there was a real person in the United States called Madeline Murray O'Hare, and she was the atheist that uh, got prayer banned in schools. Well, uh, as it was, she was was an atheistic nut. Uh, my main character in the book, Madeline Corio Dare, is a religious nut, and she starts something called the Cosmic Ray Scientific Church of Prosperity. How's that for a mouthful? <laughs> and she also starts her own pyramid scheme after she finds out that she can't afford to to get in some of the existing pyramid schemes. She tries out uh, Glenn Turner's thing, and she can't afford to get in it. And she she tries out Amway, but she find, finds that Amway is just too far along for her to make money on. So she decides she's going to start her own. And so in the meantime, she goes through a religious conversion, uh, starts her own church. She starts a, a, a group of religious-oriented uh, mutual funds, uh, and she goes on to, to more... Uh, her her funky gonzo world and all the the crazy characters that surround her are what's in this book. She changes her name to Sunray, and the uh, because she's also a nudist among other things. The uh, and then uh, she changes her children's names to Sea Ray and Blue Ray, and she uh, and she's got twin girls, and the twin girls are also married to twins. Uh, which are the Perez brothers, uh, and is, is Bobby Perez and Billy Perez, and she renames them Bobby Ray Perez and Billy Ray Perez. So everybody in her church is some kind of Ray, but uh, it, it is meant to be, you know, outrageous, over-the-top type humor. And, 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 of course, the people she meets in the process of this book are about as outrageous as she is. So anyway, the uh, I mean, she has everything from a, a rap preacher that she beats to a uh, a, uh, a guy that's running an ashram, who uh, is also uh, a crooked county commissioner, and she's got a couple of guys from New Jersey who uh, one of them uh, he started out in life as Charlie Horse Roboto, and his 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 friend started out as Tino Fast Figures Baroni. Uh, and after they become investment counselors, they become Chip Talbos and T. Rodney Chamberlain the <laughs> Third. Very good, very good. Well, so, and then, then of course, I had to uh, go ahead. Go no no go ahead no no I'm, I'm shoot. Uh, Wait I was on just you. Say, can you uh, tell us you know how they can get the book? I know. Uh, you know, uh, absolutely amazing uh, e-books is uh, your uh, publisher yeah. now. You've changed publishers. Uh, how do we get the books in the bookstores? Or well, it, uh, uh, yeah. We're putting out the books in two formats. Uh, one is, is e-books, which is the name of the company, uh, and the other one is in paperback. And uh, most of we're we're on every major service. Uh, I mean, we're on Barnes and Noble, we're on Amazon, we're on our, I can't think of it all, but I mean, you name a major outlet, we're in there. Uh, and uh, we're the local bookstores carry them, but most people end up. I mean, let's face it, I think the, the world has gone to the Internet. 
And one of the reasons that I got involved with this publisher was the fact that they are that is their main thrust because they believe the the same thing that I do is that local bookstores uh, are a dying industry. Unfortunately, I mean I love the Vero Beach Book Center with all my heart. I mean I used to go down. I was in there three or four days a week. Uh, but uh, even they have had to, uh, you know, cut their their square footage in half because of the way the the world has moved. So anyway, I'm, most of most of the sales are going through Amazon. To answer your question. Okay. Well, I definitely uh, recommend that uh, the people uh, hook on to the. Uh, Betsy Black Adventures, because I think, uh, I, I know, uh, talking to you recently, that uh, you have other books that are about to come out, too, and you're staying with uh, uh, Will and Betsy, right? Yep, Will and Betsy, or uh, Will and Betsy's next adventure is going to be with Government Graft. It's not, it's, it's not with the American government. Uh, they are summoned in to... Uh, into they get involved in the rebuilding of the infrastructure and rebuilding of the highway program in Jamaica, and they, which is going through the IMF. And the problem they're having down in Jamaica is that uh, for every dollar gets spent on highways, probably another fifty cents gets stolen. And so they're down there to try to get that situation under control. Uh, then. The, uh, the the next one in the series after that is going to be is kind of a it's kind of a departure uh, from it's about a lady who is a Cuban lady who is trying to get her parents in the United States and she cannot get her husband who is pretty well healed to cooperate financially and so she comes up with a scheme in which she arranges to get herself kidnapped. And she is going to uh, to ransom herself to her own husband. <laughs> How's that for? Going to get the money to get her parents in, and he won't even know he's paid for it. <laughs> oh, I like that. I like that. Very good, but David. Uh, yeah. By the way, that is also based on a true story. That actually happened in Jacksonville. The, the Cuban oh, part of wow. it's not real, but the rest of the story is is, is based on an actual case in Jacksonville. <laughs> ah, very good. Well, David, uh, I really appreciate two things. I appreciate you being on the broadcast uh, tonight, and I, you know, we've already uh, shot uh, our time. Uh, I've got to do some business, but I also uh, I appreciate you. Uh, given the hardcover books to uh, the people attending January's uh, FACA workshop, uh, I know... Uh, Glad to do it. <laughs> well, and I, I just... Uh, people in the audience knows how I think of books. I've given them out rather than trophies during my 20 years of coaching uh, high school teams, and uh, I appreciate what you're doing and it's uh, you know well it's just important if you're reading a, a book uh, like uh, your first book which I still think uh, should have been the book of uh, the year A New Day in the Delta or if you're reading uh, one of Will and Betsy uh, Black Adventures uh, there's something to be picked up and we have to continuously do it and I thank you for that. Next week, we are not going to have a broadcast. Uh, as you know, I, I thought that uh, the October workshop would probably be the last. And I was phasing myself out of the high school uh, uh, tennis, and I left my agenda to my wife. Uh, and she has me going to uh, Connecticut to see my children and and children and great grandchildren. Hopefully, I'll survive the winter. But I've already seen my great grandson, and he's just. Uh, uh, I was just laughing, John. I'm, I'm sympathizing. You going up north? 
Yes, and I'm scared to death. I'm scared to death. And uh, but I know <laughs> with my grandson, and as much as we enjoy uh, my great grandson, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, he likes attention like all babies do, and uh, we're going to give it to him. So I won't be able to do a show the following week. We will have Ivan Barron uh, from uh, the Delray Open. And, of course, the Delray Open will be coming uh, in February. And uh, Ivan is another gentleman that's uh, been good to Florida High School Tennis Coach Association. Uh, he's uh, supported us when we were doing the regional training and, uh, you know, gave out tickets and that and everything. And we appreciate what he's done. So uh, he will be on on the 22nd when we return. In the meantime, please tell your friends about the workshop. I think uh, if you have a high school player uh, in high school, ask the coach and ask the athletic director, ask the principal, are they attending the uh, workshop on January 5th, 6th, and 7th uh, in Daytona Beach? And if not, ask them why not. Uh, continuing education is something that we need. If we're going to be proficient at what we do, then we have to continuously remind ourselves of what the challenges and the opportunities that face us, and we have to stay abreast of them. And I think when you look at our agenda, I feel so blessed uh, to be able to uh, tell you I told you about Dr. John Murray and the others come in on Thursday, on Friday with our encore presentations. We have Carl Putnam from uh, the program director from Precy Speed School, uh, XPC in Melbourne, come in. Um, PTR, USPTA, Lee Pro, Ed Duffy, uh, the USTA volunteer, he'll be uh, doing the drills. The legend, Chuck Greasy, if you didn't hear his show yesterday, you really should uh, go and listen to it. Very, very important information him and Sam uh, present. Uh, he'll be uh, doing an encore presentation on uh, drills, uh, progression from A to C. And then Scott Engie comes in from uh, Kansas, uh, I was blessed to first work with uh, uh, Scott out at the University of Rhode Island when we were doing the World Scholar Athlete Games every four years. Uh, some of the people that you meet doing it as tennis director there, uh, I, quite frankly, I felt like I cheated them. Uh, uh, the stuff you learn, these are the, the brightest kids from around the world come every four years, and Scott and I were blessed to be able to work tennis with them. Uh, later on in the day, Chuck Reese uh, returns again, and uh, he'll be talking about stimulating learning, and he'll be addressing the last 20%. I think that's so important uh, that we do that. And, of course, our uh, FHSPA uh, FHSTCA board meeting will be uh, that evening, uh, and uh, Jane Hollinger, our president, will be conducting that. Uh, Saturday morning at 9 o'clock, Mike Kypris, um, who is now the uh, NHSAA tennis chairman, uh, longtime Florida coach. Uh, Mike and I have done some traveling together, and Coached the USTA's 14-year-olds uh, uh, together, and he'll be uh, doing the drills. He'll be introducing uh, uh, drills that help produce some of his 17 FHSAA state championship. And then Chuck Reese will return. Uh, those of you that don't know, he's the Citadel uh, tennis coach. Of course, he's in the Hall of Fame from Clemson uh, University. Uh, there and he'll be bringing the seven steps, uh, crazy seven step development. If you haven't listened to his broadcast and you don't know the seven step uh, uh, development program, you really should be at the workshop because it's an important program. And then Scott Engie will uh, return 
uh, staying with us a couple of days before he returns uh, back to Kansas, and he'll be doing <laughs> doubles drills and tactics. As you know, we missed the uh, giving out our uh, 216 FHSTCA Wilson Coach of the Year awards uh, in uh, Orlando this past October because Hurricane Matthew disrupted it. Uh, and with the agenda, although we were blessed to have most of the people uh, returning this, trying to put the agenda together, we are fitting those Coach of the Years in. And at noon on Saturday, in order to receive their uh, award, we're going to have them do present one of the drills that they do uh, at their school. And they will just uh, introduce one drill, and then we'll give them the uh, – FHS TCA Wilson Coach of the Year, which we'll be presenting in the uh, 1A, 2A, 3A, and 4A uh, areas. So please uh, attend the workshop and get the first uh, 100 uh, coaches. Um, we, we are blessed, to, thanks to David Beckwith, uh, to uh, present uh, one of his hardcover uh, mystery novels uh, there, and uh, it's going to be, and of course, Wilson will be conducting a, a raffle there, too, and part of the raffle, uh, they will be presenting tennis rackets, tennis bags, cases of tennis balls, so you can support the uh, our not-for-profit organization uh, by buying a raffle ticket and by uh, your support the FHS TCA will be able to go out and do some of the things that you do. David, I have two minutes left. I'm going to have you close out the show. Well, I was just going to say, everyone, have a Merry Christmas. And as they say in Jamaica, have an IRA 2017. Well, what more can I say? <laughs> Well, I, I thank you, and I wish you a Merry Christmas. Uh, we were blessed, uh, Bobby and I, to come down and see you a few weeks ago, and uh, we look forward to the next time to see you. And remind you that, uh, you know, uh, Vero Beach area still has fond memories of you, so when you get up here, you know, you know you got a place to stay here. We'd love to have you uh, Absolutely. Uh, be a guest with us for a week or so. Okay. Uh, you know, I may just take you up on that. <laughs> well, I, I hope to, so. I, Bobby and I would be thrilled to death. <laughs> so anyway, no, guys, I, I'm not. I, I'm, I'm glad you put up with this old this old southern boy here. It, yeah, I'm sure I told you more than you wanted to know about some of this stuff, but uh, as you can see, I, I get pretty excited about it. I, I it's, it's uh, To me, it's a... Uh, it's a lot of fun uh, to to learn about this, these kind of things. I have as much fun doing the research on some of it as I do doing the books. Well, I think that's important. I think if you're not excited about something, it's hard to be successful. And I think that's why you're such a successful writer is because <clears throat> you're excited about that. And that's one of the reasons we want you to encourage you your schools to make sure your athletic directors uh, have their high school tennis coaches attend the FACA uh, workshop again. You're going to put in people there. Uh, they're contributing. The, the coaches that are experienced, most of them understand and they're willing to share the information. So if you see one of us older coaches there, introduce yourself. If you have a question, by all means, ask it. Uh, but get excited about what you're doing. If you get excited about it, your team's going to be excited. And the journey becomes the journey that uh, is not only a, a more exciting journey for your players, but it's a journey they're going to need uh, the rest of their life. And if you don't have this self-discipline to sit there and better yourself and prepare yourself for the future, how do you expect your players to have that self-discipline? So thanks for listening. I remind you, we don't have a broadcast next week. Tell your friends that we will be back the following week. 
We will have a surprise in mid-January. Uh, uh, we will talk about that after the first of the year. But have a Merry Christmas, a Happy year, New Year. Uh, those of you that are celebrating uh, Hanukkah, uh, enjoy the holiday seasons, and have a blessed uh, week, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye now. Absolutely. Yeah, John, uh, one.